0: We're going to read from the Scriptures. If you turn with me to the book of Revelation, and then we'll have a few announcements. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And I want to read today from The verse 9 Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 If you found the place Let's hear the word of the Lord Reading of course from the authorised verse Revelation chapter 1 verse 9 I, John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto let us see it. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me And being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks And in the midst of the seven candlesticks One like unto the Son of Man Clothed with a garment down to the foot And girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead And he laid his right hand upon me Saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning... It's taken from Revelation chapter 1 and the verse 15. And the first part of the verse says, And his feet, like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And my theme today is gazing on the most beautiful feet in the world. The apostle John, remember, has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The date is approximately AD 90 or perhaps a little later. And there John is inspired to write the book known as the Revelation of Saint John the Divine. But I want you to think of the title not the revelation of St. John the Divine, but look at Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. You see, that's the real title. It's not the book of Revelations, S. There's only one revelation, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word revelation, young people, means unveiling. It's literally the unveiling of Jesus Christ as he is today in heaven. Literally, it's the unveiling of the glorified Christ after his death and burial and resurrection and ascension to heaven. And it's the same Lord Jesus that pays John a visit on Patmos, And there he gives John a most unusual and yet a most wonderful and glorious vision of himself. A vision, of course, that John had never seen before. A vision that John never forgot. Here, the Lord Jesus reveals himself to John in a way that John had never seen him before. And what he saw, he was commanded to write in a book. And that book is known as the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And here John tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Do you know we could preach a whole sermon on that? We'll not. John tells us that when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. And John records what the verse, the voice says. Listen to verse 11. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou sayest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now notice verse 12. He says, and I turn to see the voice that spake with me. You see, the Lord Jesus could not be seen until there was a turning. And there has to be a turning from sin and from our shortcomings and imperfections, a turning from our failures and our follies, a turning from our backslidings, a turning from our unbelief and lack of love and lack of concern for Christ. And when we turn in response to his voice, Then being turned, like John, we can see Christ as he is today. And what follows when John turned is a most wonderful, glorious, unique vision of the Master. Here's a wonderful portrait of Christ. A portrait that no earthly artist could ever paint with paint. Think of John. He's been with the Lord Jesus for three and a half years. During that time, they had walked together and talked together. They had ate together. They had sat down together. They had worked together. And yet John had never seen him in this way before. This was a new vision. This was a different view of Christ. This was even beyond what John had already experienced in the Mount of Transfiguration. This was a vision of the glorified Christ in heaven. When John heard the voice behind him as of a trumpet and turned to see that voice, upon being turned, now look at your Bible, what did he see? Look at verse 12. And being turned, I saw what? Seven golden candlesticks. Now the word candlesticks there means lampstands. In verse 13 we read, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one leg unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. There's a lovely title of the Lord Jesus one like unto the Son of Man. That's used 84 times in the Bible, a title that is a reference to his incarnation and his virgin birth and his true humanity. Remember what we read in the scriptures, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh. And that title, like unto the Son of Man, is connected to his earthly ministry. And yet the wonderful thing is, in heaven, while there's a ministry continuing, he is still known as the Son of Man. Not only notice his title, but notice his clothing. That's important. A garment down to the foot and girdle about the paps with a golden girdle. That's a reference to our priestly king in heaven. A king would have worn a long loose, flowing robe, sitting on the throne, wearing a golden girdle. It's very similar to what Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7 and the verse 10. And then John, having given us this title, having pointed out this clothing, he then begins to describe him. Let's just look at the verses together. His head and his hairs were white as wool, white as snow. Two, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Three, and his feet like undefined brass as if they burned in a furnace. Four, and his voice as a sound of many waters. Five, And he had in his right hand seven stars. Six, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Seven, and his countenance was the, the sun shineth in his strength. Here's a sevenfold picture of the risen Christ. Here's a unique description. Here's a vision of Christ as he is today in heaven. Seven things about him. Seven things stood out to John. Seven things were unique. Doesn't seven in the Bible, isn't it the number of perfection? Doesn't seven speak of complete perfection? Now, notice how John reacts. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Do you know there's many claim to have visions of Christ today? I asked this simple question, how do they react? Is it like John, and when I saw him I fell at his feet as dead? Well, you know the answer. In the vast majority of cases, it's not the case. Could I ask a question this morning? How will we react when we behold one who is absolutely perfect? How will we react when we behold him as the bride describes him in Song of Solomon 5 and 17? Yea, he is altogether lovely. Whenever you see him, As he is today in heaven, I put it to you, we will react the way John reacts. We'll be lost for words. We'll be speechless. We will be overcome with awe. The bride, when she was asked, what is thy beloved more than any other beloved? And she began to describe him, song of song, in in, in chapter 5. She exhausted her vocabulary. And she told us things about his head and his hair, and as she went on describing him, she was lost for words until she came to that wonderful exclamation, with white hot emotion rising out of her heart: "Yea, he is altogether lovely." And I want to tell you this morning that the Christ that the bride saw in Song of Solomon, and the Christ that Daniel saw in Chapter Seven and Chapter Ten. And the Christ that Isaiah saw is the same Christ that John saw. And when you and I look on him, not only with the eye of faith, but look on him literally one day when we see him, we'll have the same reaction. Now this morning, I had thought of doing a series of things looking on our lovely Lord, but I just want to think of one of these seven things that John saw and uniquely described, and that is his feet. Now look at the text, verse 15. And his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. Remember, this is just one of the unique descriptive features that John fastened his mind on that day when he saw Christ, the risen glorified Christ. Think with me of the position of his feet. It says in the text, and his feet. Every word's important. The word and's a conjunction. It takes us right back up to verse 13. You see, where was the Lord Jesus standing when John saw him? What was his position? We read in verse 12, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Verse 13, And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, the word golden is dropped, one like unto the Son of Man. The Lord Jesus is in the midst of the seven churches. This is how he appears. He is only and always in the midst. And what caught John's eye was not the seven golden candlesticks, because as he repeats it, he drops the word golden. He's not taken up with the candlesticks, but he's taken up with Christ. And the first thing that catches his eye when he sees the seven golden candlesticks is in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about the paps with a golden girdle. You see, this is the only position that the Lord Jesus occupies in his church. The Lord Jesus is always and only in the midst. Now, now think of how this applies to worship. When we come together this morning for worship, where is Christ? He is in the midst. The hymn writer said, Jesus, stand among us in all thy risen power. Let this time of worship be an hallowed hour. John isn't focusing on the candlestick, but he's focusing on the one in the midst. He's not describing the the candlestick. He tells us, of course, what the candlesticks means. But John, his attention isn't drawn to the candlestick. His attention is drawn to him. It's as if every eye should be on him. He's not been pushed to the one side, he's not been pushed to the sidelines, he's not been pushed to the edge, he's not on the outside, he's always in the midst. Remember in Exodus chapter three, verse two. In the midst of the bush. That didn't burn Was a revelation of the glory And the sykina glory of the living and the true God The great I am That I am And when we think of worship We should always think of Christ in the midst Let's also think not only of our worship But let's think of our warfare You see You're aware that the church is in a spiritual war this morning we're doing battle with the world and the flesh and the devil. And where's Christ when this battle is raging? Well, here's the answer. He's in the midst. How do I know that? Did you know that in Daniel chapter three twenty-five, whenever Nebuchadnezzar had cast the three Hebrew children into the midst of the furnace, where was Christ? He was in the midst with them. Nebuchadnezzar said I see four men loose walking in the midst of the furnace and you see whenever the church goes through the fire and the flood when you go through the fire and the flood he doesn't desert his people he stands by us he stays with us he's there to support us with his strength and his grace See, of course, we live in a day when many don't want to stand up openly and identify with Christ and earnestly contend for the faith. And this church, of course, not only carried off, but our Free Presbyterian denomination has protested at many ecumenical services because we believe that the ecumenical services are an attempt to do a reversal job in the great Protestant Reformation. I often think of Luther and Calvin and Knox. Where would they be in relation to uh, the Church of Rome today? Well, they would be outside protesting uh, along with us. I think of our Cookstown church that's to be commended on Thursday because they had a protest at a blatant display of homosexuality at a conference down in a hotel in Cookstown. And where's Christ? He's in the midst of his people. Remember the Bible tells us that the Lord is a man of war. Also think this morning of waiting on Christ if you turn over there, and I, I haven't time this morning to turn to every reference, I would love to um, we'll think of this theme again, but turn over there to Matthew chapter 18, and we read there in Matthew 18, verses 19 through to 20. It says in verse 19 of Matthew 18, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree in earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Do do you see that? Do do you think of this this morning? Every time we have a prayer meeting, the Lord Jesus is first here. He's there to greet us, to to encourage us, to to assist and, and to help us. Two or three is the smallest number. I remember the Reggie Cranston the Reverend Reggie Cranston of Port Hope at the minister's week of prayer saying that they only have two or three at times in their prayer meeting But he's encouraged because he said that Christ is always present before they come He's first in and last out and, and he's with them And therefore they can take encouragement from the word of God where two or three are gathered together in my name There am I in the midst of them. You see it's in my name of course, that demands comprehension and thought of who Christ is. I, I want you to think also this morning, not only when the church is at worship, when the church is going through its warfare, when the church is waiting in him in an attitude of prayer, but even when the church is weak. Turn over there to John chapter 20. Look with me, John chapter 20. And um, I think it's in the verse... Um, 19, John chapter 20, it says, the same day at the evening, when the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, listen to this, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, then were the disciples glad. When they saw the Lord. Here's the 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 fear and the weakness and the, the, the unbelief that, that's gripping the hearts of God's people. And isn't it hard to keep going when fear grips you? Whenever you're you're weakened? Maybe you're here this morning and you're fearing 101 things. Maybe you fear being alone, maybe you fear the future, fear not being able to cope. Maybe you, you, you fear um you're not going to be able to pay your bills at the end of January. Fear can be a multitudinous of, of reasons. But when they were fearful and they were at their weakest moment, where did Christ come? He come to where they were. And where did he stand? He stood in the midst of them. When he made an entrance, it's always in the midst. Think of the church's work remember whenever Jesus Christ was crucified where was he crucified in the midst of two thieves you know what the Bible tells us in the book of Acts when we think about the work of Christ he tells us this in Acts chapter 2 and in the um, verse at 22 Acts 2 and verse 22 He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. There's the position of his feet. And no matter what angle we look at when it comes to worship, warfare, waiting, weakness, work, witnessing, it's all connected to Christ being in the midst. Notice secondly, and very quickly, the pondering of his feet. It says, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 15, and his feet. Underline the word his his feet. You see, the Lord Jesus has been described by John as he saw him. And it was as if John couldn't take his eyes of Christ. He sees this one standing in the midst. He he sees the garment down to the foot, and, and then he, he fastens his eyes on his feet. Do you know for us there's probably nothing more wonderful a sight than a newborn baby? Don't we love to meet a mother and a newborn baby? I can remember when Miriam was born. I looked at her wee eyes. Her nose and her ears and her hands and her fingers. I looked at her feet. And I remember thinking, oh, there's something wonderful and beautiful and attractive by that. And here's John and he's got his eyes in Christ. Not in the golden candlesticks. John has much to tell us about his Lord. And he's telling us something about his feet. Do you know what the Bible says over there in the book of uh, Isaiah? Uh, Isaiah chapter um, 52 and in the verse 7, it says, listen to these words. How beautiful are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publish peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that say unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Oh, isn't that a wonderful verse? You see, what I'm trying to get at this morning is this. Christ is the main attraction in his church. And no matter what angle we look at Christ, whether it's his work of procuring salvation, whether it's his walk with his people, whether it's his worth as the Son of Man and Son of God, no matter what aspect you look at Christ, Christ is the main attraction in his church Because this is this description here in Revelation It's all about Christ It's about his head, his hair, his voice, his face, his feet You see, isn't it sad today that so many churches have lost sight of Christ? Isn't it sad today that so many churches are not preaching Christ? They're not presenting Christ, they're not promoting Christ Reverend Cranson told us during the Ministers' Week of Prayer that one of the churches in Port Hope had a, an ice cream competition on a Sunday. Let's see which family can make the best ice cream. Come into church and we'll set up tables and we'll have their mixing bowls and whatever and then we'll have a tasting time afterwards. But where was the presentation and the preaching of Christ? Do you know that some churches have boxes under their seat? Put money in a box. They put a prize like a holiday under in the box or a weekend away in Galgorm or somewhere else. And they put it under a certain pew and they might have two or three of these in the year. And then they say to the neighborhood, well, if you come to church and you're sitting in a particular pew and you look under and you find a box under your pew, whatever's in the box is for you. Well, well, of course, that's all designed to get people in. I heard of another church that had a drama group, and they had a live actress that came in and played the the part of Delilah, and she sort of stripped off in church. Well, you see, that's all designed to attract a crowd. But that's sad. I want to tell you, it's sinful. Do you know why? Because that church has lost sight of Christ. Christ is no longer central. He's pushed to the sidelines. He's in the corner. But when John sees Christ, he sees the position of his feet. He's in the midst. And he ponders his feet and his feet. It's important to John. Christ is the main attraction in his church, even his feet. As I've said, the most beautiful feet in the world. How beautiful are the feet of him! And it's a reference to Christ. To say to Judah, thy God reigneth. You know, in the Free Presbyterian Church, we have this concept, biblical principle. We preach Christ and him crucified. Whenever Philip went to Samaria, he preached unto him Jesus. Christ is present. You see, it's all about him. He adorns the church by his presence. And we're to ponder him. You know, isn't it better to attend a church where the only attraction is Christ? We need to set aside man-made inventions. I have no problem with a praise group coming, somebody singing, somebody testifying, as long as Christ is being presented. But to close the Sunday service, to have an ice cream competition, well, there's something wrong. Better have the door closed. Very quickly, I want you to think of the portrayal of his feet. We haven't even got to the text yet really Notice it says in Revelation chapter 1 It says in verse 15 And his feet like unto fine brass As if they burned in a furnace See John looked at his feet And he was thinking of two things And I'll have to finish with this He was thinking of the purity of Christ You see fine brass as if it's burned in a fire When it's burned in the furnace of a fire, it looks a whitish in colour. In fact, the margin gives us the rendering and his feet like unto white copper. In other words, whenever it's burnt, it's burnt white. Doesn't whiteness speak of purity? remember what we read in the book of revelation chapter 19 and verse 8 speaking of the church and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints what color was his hair when john saw him look at the text and his head and his hair were white like wool white as snow we could talk about the white-haired Christ this morning can you see that and then think about his feet and his feet like unto fine brass or his feet like unto white copper you see from the head to the toe the Lord Jesus is absolutely perfect The Lord Jesus is the absolute perfection of all righteousness. He is totally soundless. We contrast this with man in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1 and 6 we read this. From the sole of his foot even unto the head there's no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed neither bound up neither mollified with ointment. That's how God sees sinful man Man is sinful from the crown of his head To the sole of the foot That's what the Lord Jesus sees When he looks at us But when we look in Christ He's absolutely pure He's absolutely sinless He's absolutely holy And he never had a sinful thought A sinful word A sinful deed Christ is the very essence Of absolute holiness and purity His walk was pure His words His witness His work His worth Oh, think tonight of being at the feet of the Saviour. Doesn't he have good news to the sinner? How beautiful are the feet of him? Isn't that what we have already read in the book of um, Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and verse 7? How beautiful are the mountains, upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that publisheth peace you need good tidings you know you're a sinner you need to be saved christ has come to publish peace that bringeth good tidings of good that publishes salvation it's all here oh that you could look to the one who is holy is there any one as holy as the lord jesus is there any like him in heaven didn't robert murray mcshean say in prayer, Lord, make me as holy as it's possible for a saved sinner to be. He strove after a holy life. He hated sin. He loved righteousness. He, he thought about his treatment of others. In fact, he said this, that the Christ in me won't fight with the Christ in you. And there shouldn't be any fighting among God's people. We should be loving as brethren. But I want to tell you, you think of the holiest minister or man that ever lived in the church. There's none as holy as the Lord Jesus. John lived with him for three and a half years. For 33 years as Christ lived his life, he was wholly harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. He lived among men. In, in fact, the book of Isaiah tells us in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 60 and in the verse, um, 13 it says in isaiah 16 and 13 the glory of lebanon shall come unto thee the fir tree the pine tree and the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary and i will make the place of my feet glorious the place of my feet shall be glorious think of the purity of christ now think of this and we have to finish think of the power of christ fine brass you know it's a symbol of power Jeremiah 1.18 talks about making Jeremiah like a brass wall against the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the people of Judah. Micah chapter 4, verse 13, talks about the horses having hoofs of brass. You see, the shoes weren't coming off. Hoofs of brass that had power to defeat the enemy. And I want to say to you this morning as we finish Christ is not only all pure, but he's all powerful. He has power to save. Think of the brazen serpent that was raised up in the pole in the midst of the camp of the Israelites. Didn't the Lord Jesus tell Nicodemus in John chapter um, 3 uh, verses uh, 14 and and 15. um, he, He said in John 3 these words and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life look and live that's what the children of Israel were told look to the brazen serpent and the pole raised up in the midst of the camp and you'll be saved see the Lord Jesus' has power to save save you this morning if you look to him and live remember the tabernacle What was the first item of furniture in the tabernacle? It was the brazen altar. That was the place where the the coals and the fire was lit, where the sacrifice was placed, where the offering for sin. And I want to tell you this morning, the fire of God's wrath burned at the cross. And it burned on Christ. And the symbol of God's wrath and his indignation against um, sin, Christ stood in the furnace of that wrath. He bore the punishment of our sin so that we could be saved from sin's power and penalty and never be in hell. He is part of save. I'm going to tell you this as we finish. He is part of slay. If you turn over there to the book of Genesis as we finish, in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, we read about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember. Abraham had prayed for the de- about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He started at 50 and he went down to 10 righteous. God sent two angels to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible tells us there in Genesis chapter 19, that, um, that the smoke of the torment of Sodom and Gomorrah went up like a furnace. It says in Genesis 19, 24, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Verse 28, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. The terrible destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's a description of the judgment of God. The smoke of a furnace. The Lord Jesus has power to save, but he's power to slay. And what a terrible thing it would be to end up in hell and the Lord Jesus, your enemy not your savior the portrayal of his feet will have to stop there i was thinking about the place at his feet john says when i saw him i fell at his feet as one that was dead where did he fall it was at his feet and that's the place that we should be that's the place that we should take at the feet of jesus have you taken your place as a sinner at the feet of jesus have you cried out, Lord, save me? Is Christ your Lord and King? Have you got your gaze in him? That you're full of him? That you want to get a sight of your lovely Lord? I pray that the Lord will give us grace.